It is good to have all of you here, and uh, even if there's not a physical room uh, in the gym, which is a great problem to have, uh, we want you to know that there is room for you here in our community. We love new people at Hope. Amen? Amen. So keep them coming, okay? We'll... We'll build some bleachers back there. Whatever we have to do, okay? You just keep, keep inviting, keep doing that, and, uh, and keep them coming. Uh, my name is John, and uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I would love, would love to do that uh, as we continue to grow uh, as a church. How cool is baptism? Amen? How cool is that? Praise God. Absolutely. So this, this, uh, this idea of baptism, like I said, is not just for Mark and Kim or for the family or the, the sponsors here today. It's for all of us that in some small way, what just happened up here is what Jesus Christ offers every single one of us. This new life in Christ that as we are buried with him in his death, we are offered new life by Jesus Christ right now here today. And that is something to be very thankful for. That is the gospel, that we exchange our past for God's future that he has for us. And the Bible has a really, uh, it has a, a really interesting word for this, and it's called redemption. And we don't use that word a lot in our common everyday language, except for maybe some movies that you enjoy. If you think about it, we love a redemption story when the, the underdog comes rising up and does something great. And we also think about like cans and bottles. You know what I mean? Have you ever thought about that? Like what's, what's another name for a recycling center? Redemption. redemption center, right? Because we're taking something old that doesn't seem like it has a lot of use, Right? And we're recycling it or we're redeeming it that whoever it is there bought it from you. They bought it back so that they can repurpose it for a future. Does that sound familiar? That's what Jesus Christ does for us. So if you think about it, the Bible that you hold in your hands this morning, this is a redemption center, right? Not for cans and bottles, but for you and me. This is a redemption center for all of us where Jesus offers us new life. Redemption. And that is what the story of Ruth is about that we're going to be looking at today. So if you do have your story Bibles, I would encourage you to open those up to page 121. We're going to kind of introduce the story here a little bit. Or if you have uh, the Bibles that are in the rows, that's Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. We're about a fourth of the way into the Old Testament. And we're going to be talking about this idea of redemption Today. We're in week nine, so we're starting chapter nine of this series we've been through, going through the story, which we're looking at some of these, these big ideas and these big stories throughout scripture. And as you've been reading through this, which I hope you're doing at home, as you've been reading through it, I hope you see some big ideas popping out, some big themes popping up. The Bible is not a series of random stories. The Bible is one continuous story from Genesis to Revelation. And one of these big themes that continues to pop up over and over and over again is that God is a God of redemption. He's all about helping us let go of our past and starting again. And the thing is, everybody wants redemption, right? We love movies. I was thinking about some of the movies that I love, like Batman and Spider-Man, like those types of hero movies. Why do we love those so much? Because the hero is ordinary. They're not a superhero in and of themselves, right? They're ordinary. They're redemption story. They come from the depths and they rise 
to the top because of a power that's greater than themselves. This is a redemption story that we're going to read about today. And so let's begin on page 121, and we're going to start with this story of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, which we talked about last week, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem, does that sound familiar to anybody? We'll get to that later. (laughs) Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. This man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. So what's going on? We know in those days that when a famine hit, it affected everybody, and it would, especially if you were lower on the economic scale, if you were poor, it made life extremely difficult. Especially if you're like this family, Naomi's family, and you're poor to begin with and you have very little land to work on. You're totally dependent on that. So when the famine comes, this family decides we got to go and we got to go to another country, Moab, just to survive, which when you think about it, Moab was a traditional enemy of Israel, So imagine how frustrating and painful this is for them. Just to survive, they have to go to enemy territory, okay? This would be like if there was a food shortage in Chicago and all the Bears fans had to go live and mooch off of Vikings fans in Minneapolis for a while, right? Just to put it in your terms a little bit more, okay? You can imagine what that would be like. It would be terrible, right? And so we've got the dad, uh, Elimelech, and his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, Malan and Kilion. So you kind of see in the family tree there. So they go to Moab, and the two sons marry Moabite or foreign women, meaning they're not Israelites. And so their names are Orpha. I know when you read it this week, you probably thought Oprah was in the Bible, but she's not, okay? It's Orpha and, uh, and Ruth. Orpha and Ruth are the two daughters. So what happens is during their time in Moab, Elimelech, the dad, dies. Okay, so Naomi doesn't have a husband anymore. And then, after a while, the two other husbands, her sons-in-law, die as well. Okay? So all that's left is Naomi and the two daughters, Orpha and Ruth. So you can imagine, this is a really difficult time. Not only to lose one family member, but multiple family members in a short amount of time. And all of a sudden, we finally have a story in the Bible that's all about the ladies, and the women get to shine. Ladies, can I get an amen? Amen. All right. We don't get this a lot. We don't get this a lot in Scripture, but the focus is now all on the women. And so as you heard Laura read, Naomi says to the two single women now, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem, but you two go home and stay here in your home country of Moab because you'll probably have a better chance of getting married, which you have to understand in that culture, getting married wasn't just about finding love. It was about survival because women in that culture were so low on the totem pole that unless you had a husband that could provide for you, you were pretty much destined to be poor for the rest of your life. And so Orpha is very sad, but she decides to go. But Ruth is different. And watch what she does. We're uh, on the middle of page 122 now, and I want you to watch what Ruth says. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. She says this to her mother-in-law. 
Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if death ever separates you and me. So Ruth, it says, as she's saying this, is clinging to Naomi. She's clinging to her mother-in-law saying, I am committed. I will be faithful to you. Now, I'm just taking a guess here, and I'm guessing that not all of you have that kind of love and affection for your mother-in-law. Just taking a stab, right? Maybe there's some different kind of relationship dynamics there. But if you take a step back for a second and just look at this story, do you think that Ruth wanted to stay in Moab? Absolutely. Her entire future is there, right? Her chances of finding a a, a husband from her own country, a, a house, a family, probably a dog, financial stability, a good job, the whole nine yards. But instead, we are still reading about Ruth as a hero in scripture today because she stayed with her mother-in-law. Something so simple, but faithful. It was not culturally normal at all, but in the heat of the moment, Ruth chose faithfulness. And so the story continues. Naomi and Ruth travel back to Bethlehem together with practically nothing. So here's two women in ancient Israel, in Bethlehem, which nothing great ever happens in Bethlehem, yet. And so here they are, they're dirt poor, they have nothing, and they don't know how they're going to survive. So Ruth says, Ruth is the daughter, right? She's the younger, younger daughter. She says, I'll do the hard work of going out and working in the field. Now, before we continue the story, I, I want to pause for a second, because I think it's important for us to see what's happening. I know there's a lot of us here today that are in the, our 20s and 30s. We're in this young adult generation. And all of us need to hear this, but I specifically want you to hear this that are in my generation. Ruth is a young adult. Ruth has her entire life ahead of her. And I have to believe that at this time in her life, She is living with her mother-in-law. She is dirt poor. She probably doesn't have any friends. And she's working in the fields probably 15 hours a day. There ain't nothing sexy about that. There's nothing cool. There's nothing hip. There's nothing trendy about that. And we don't get to hear it in the story necessarily. But I want you to just use your imagination. And I want you to think about what Ruth's prayer life might have been like. (laughs) God, I have my whole life in front of me. And here I am and I feel like I'm wasting it. I am stuck in a foreign country living with my (laughs) mother-in-law. Freedom, God. Come on, provide for me. And she's got to be asking God, when will things change for me? God, when will I get everything that I long for? And I have a feeling that some of us might be asking those similar questions today no matter what season of life we're in. God, when are things going to change for me? God, what do I have to do to get what I want out of life? God, you're good, so why can't you bless me right here, right now, with all my hopes and dreams that I want in life? And unfortunately, in a lot of, unfortunately, Christian circles, there's a verse that gets thrown around that's supposed to be the medicine 
for being a young adult and not knowing what you're doing with your life. <laughs> and it's this from Psalm 37. Let's throw that up on the screen. Let's read this all together. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So we read something like that and some of you are going, wow, that's in the Bible? I just have to be happy about God and then he'll give me whatever I want? This is awesome, right? And unfortunately, we read that and we go, well, I've got some desires. I want to be married someday. I, I want to have that job. I want to have a house and I want to have a family and I want to get that promotion and I, whatever it is for you. And we read a verse like that and we say, okay, maybe if I just work a little bit harder, maybe if I'm a little bit more spiritual, maybe if I read my Bible a little bit more and, and just pray a little bit more and I do my duty for God, then he will give me the desires of my heart. Or so we translate it. But the problem with that is, number one, it's not true. And number two, whenever we take a verse like that out of the context that it's in, we do that all the time as Christians. We pull out little verses from the Bible and say, well, that's what it means. It's a story. Without the rest of the story, this doesn't make any sense. And so what I'd like to do is instead, I'd like to read the rest of part of Psalm 37 together and start a few verses before. So this is a few slides, but let's read this together up on the screen. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. So did you catch the verse that comes before getting everything we want? Trust in the Lord and do good. Now listen to this. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. So instead of, I think what the, what the psalmist is saying here is instead of navel-gazing, <laughs> at ourselves day after day wondering, have I delighted in God enough? Have I delighted in God enough to get what I want? <laughs> this whole passage is actually about taking action in a much different way. By cultivating faithfulness, by dwelling in the land, by, not, by, by putting down roots instead of saying, I'm going to look for the next job or the next relationship or whatever it is to satisfy me. Instead, it says, live deeply and committed where you already are. Dwell. Dwell. That's not a word that we use a lot. And while you're there, be so focused on being a man or woman of integrity. Be so focused on doing the simple things in life with faithfulness that when those desires eventually get fulfilled, that they're added blessings to a life that's already been lived to the full. Are you tracking with me? We don't do these things. We don't live a Christian life so that God will give us what we want as if we're twisting his arm. We live this way because that's how God calls us to live. And sometimes it's hard. And I just want to point that out about this story. Because we can skip along with Ruth and said, oh, she's a matriarch of the Bible and she's a great hero. This sucked for her. I'm just going to say it. 
And sometimes life is hard. And one of the biggest myths about Christianity that we can live in long into our Christian journeys is that somehow when I walk through the doors of a church, that the smiley face has to go on and everything has to be automatically okay. And my question for all of us this morning is, what if it's not? Because if you can't be real here, where can you be real? Right? If you can't be real here, where there's grace and mercy, then can you be real out in the world where so many different things are getting thrown at you? And I'm sure there were many things for Ruth that were just plain hard. And I want you to hear this morning, it's okay to struggle. It's okay to live in the tension as a follower of Jesus. And secondly, something I want you to notice about that verse that we just read, go ahead and throw that that last verse up a couple slides ago. This whole cultivating faithfulness thing, (laughs) I also want you to know it doesn't say stop desiring. It doesn't say shut down your heart, which I think is a lot of times what we tell people. Oh, just wait and God will give you what you want, so kill your heart in the process. That's not what we're saying here. We're saying keep your heart alive because God has so many things that he wants to give you. Instead, what I believe this verse says is get moving. What Ruth does is get moving. But you're saying, no, John, it says, wait patiently for him. But where, where in the Bible is waiting passive? Nowhere. Whenever the Bible says wait, it's an active waiting. Instead of waiting for God to drop things in our lap, Psalm 37 says, get busy living. <laughs> get busy living, not to earn God's blessing, but because you've already been blessed. And that's exactly what Ruth does here in the story. In fact, I don't think it's any coincidence that Ruth is literally cultivating the ground as she's working in the field. Meanwhile, she's cultivating her heart. Interesting tidbit about this story. And she's being just as intentional about taking a long, hard look in the mirror as a young adult and saying, what kind of person am I becoming? Who am I becoming? And that goes for us at any season of our life. We got to ask ourselves that. And I wonder if one of those long sleepless nights where Ruth is wondering, is my life going anywhere? I wonder if in the stillness of that moment, God spoke to her and he wants to say to every single one of us this morning, dwell. Be who you are, where you are. And I, and I will make you significant. I will make you significant. Cultivate faithfulness. And God says, my answer to your prayer might not always be the obvious one. I want you to remember at this point in the story, we're not guaranteed that it's going to work out for Ruth. But I have a feeling that even if God didn't give her everything she wanted in her lifetime, she still would have been fulfilled. Did she still long for a husband at this point? Absolutely. Right? She's late 20s, early 30s. She wants a husband. That is awesome. But she was a woman of such character that she was living life to the full where she already was. She knew God intimately. So my challenge to all of you today is this. Put down your roots and dwell. See, many of us desire, like Ruth and like other people in the Bible, we love to have that deep maturity I don't think there's any one of us here today that would say, I don't want to grow in my faith, 
But the problem is a lot of us live like hot air balloons. Instead of dwelling, we live most of our life going, woo, I'm going to float over here to this job. And then I'm going to float over here to this town. And then I'm going to float over here to this relationship. And when that doesn't work out, I'm going to float over here. And we never touch down. We never put down roots. And if you don't put down roots, you can't grow. And I don't know what that is for you today. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a a, a city to live in. Maybe it's a church. (laughs) And for most of your life, you just, "Ah, I'm going to consume, 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 consume. If you're consuming, you're not growing. You're just taking it all in, but you're not serving anybody. You're not really growing. So what is that next step for you today? Folks, don't give in to the when-then lie. (laughs) When I graduate, then I'll live a life of purity. When I have kids, then we'll start coming back to the church because they need it. What about you? What about you? When I retire, then I'll have more time for for serving people. Don't buy into the when then lie. That's not what Ruth did. Instead, what I want to ask you this morning, I I just want to cut right to the chase. What habits are you developing right now in your life, just as Ruth did in that tension of her life? What habits are you developing that will serve you the rest of your life? Maybe things that nobody else will see. Are you a person that keeps your word? Is there gossip on your lips every day? Do you serve others instead of complaining about everything you don't have? I don't care what age you are. Are you honoring your parents? Are you cultivating faithfulness? So there's all these little tiny things that I bet nobody else will ever see, but they're going to make the difference between significance in life and not significance in life. I've heard it said, think about this for a second, the way that we live our days will be the way we live our months. And the way we live our months will be the way we live our years. And the way we live our years will be our legacy. What kind of legacy are you living, are you leaving by the way that you're living your life? Some of it seems really mundane. You say, John, that's not really exciting at all. Neither is tilling the ground in Bethlehem. Nothing gets more boring than that. And so here's Ruth in this boring, mundane season of her life. And she thinks, is anybody noticing me? Will anybody take notice? Well, it turns out somebody does. And that's where we pick up our story. Turn with me to page 123 of the story as we get towards the end of Ruth's story. So Ruth goes to work in a field and here's what happens kind of on the top of page 123 in the story. So she went out and she entered the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. And it turned out she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. Everybody say Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So Boaz is a distant, distant, distant relative. So this isn't like some sort of weird family get-together sort of Arkansas living thing. Don't worry about that, okay? That's not what's going on. There's, there's a lot of distance. I, sorry if any of you are from Arkansas. That's just what was on my mind for some reason, right? So Ruth goes into work in a field, and just as God would write it, the field is owned by a handsome hunk named Boaz, right? And he's looking for a lady, 
and here's what happened. So Boaz is owning the field. He's walking around making sure everybody's doing what they should do. And it says this, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. Hey, they were Lutheran. And then they said, and also with you. Um, <laughs> they said, the Lord bless you. They, and that's just a traditional thing that we say as Lutherans. So, but then look at this. Boaz asked the harvester of his har overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? And I don't want you to think about that in a negative way, that women were seen more as property in that culture. None of us believe that anymore. But I think the more modern translation is, who dat lady? <laughs> wow, she is smoking good looking. Right here in the Bible. I know, it sounds like a cheap romance novel that you get at the library or something like that, right? Right here in the Bible, okay? This is where it starts to get a little PG-13, so just hang on, okay? So Boaz takes notice and he goes, wow, who's that? And ladies, before you start going off and think Boaz is some pig-headed male chauvinist guy that's only concerned about the outward appearance, watch what he says to her. This is on the bottom of 123. Boaz replied, okay, nothing about her physical features, okay? Boaz says, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you rich, be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whom wings you have come to find refuge. Now that's some smooth talk. That's what I'm talking about, right? This guy knows how to lay it down. So Boaz, just as much as he's drawn to her physically, is drawn to her heart. Boaz, being a godly man himself, is drawn to her because she see, he sees that she's done the little things well in life. That she's taken care of herself. That her number one priority in life was not to find a hunk. It was to be a godly woman. And let God make her significant. Absolutely incredible. What attracted to me, to you, Ruth, was your faithfulness, your integrity. And so Ruth wasn't being faithful in the field, out there in the field going, I hope I find a husband, I hope I find a husband, I hope I find a husband. She was simply being who she was. And Boaz notices her. And so they kind of take a liking to each other and the, and the story goes on. Ruth goes home and tells Naomi. And of course, Naomi's all excited because she's heard good things about Boaz. He's godly and he's good looking. Double bonus there, okay? The faith and the face. Okay, for those of you that are keeping track at home, he's got the faith and the face and the bod. Okay, so this is where, this is kind of the shady part of Ruth. Okay, so here's what happens. This is good. You'll want to hang around for this. Okay, so Naomi says, <laughs> this is kind of awkward. Naomi says, I want you to, Ruth, I want you to get all gussied up. Okay, I want you to do your hair and your make, you know, whatever, ladies, whatever you do, you know, in front of the mirror. Woo! You know, do your hair and makeup and, you know, perfume, whatever you do. You know, ladies, what, I want you to get all gussied up. I want you to put on something real nice. Maybe bring the skirt up a little bit. Okay. It's in the Bible. Read it. Okay. I want you to get all gussied up. And then Boaz and his guys are staying over at this little shelter over here. And I want you to sneak into his bedroom. Hang on. Okay. The kids are gone. I get it. Okay. I want you to sneak into his bedroom and I want you to go lay at the foot of his bed. And then I want you to take a sheet and I want you to just kind of snuggle up to him, right? And just kind of let him feel you there, you know, and you, and you can smell your perfume and we're kind of getting the senses going here, right? 
in the Bible, folks. I'm not making this up, okay? And, and she's all gussied up, and she does this, and Boaz uh, wakes up, and he goes, whoa, there's an almost half-naked woman in my bed with me, okay? This is really fun. So um, there's this very, very sexy lady here. Um, there's been a lot of modern hip-hop songs written about Ruth, okay? So don't get me wrong. There's some physical attraction going on here, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that Boaz really says, I, I really like you a lot. But I just want to pause here for a second and help you understand the long shot that this is to work. Ruth is a slave girl. Boaz owns land, is pretty wealthy, and pretty well-known in society. The chances of them getting together are, well, about one in a million. Kind of like the chances of Mary and Lloyd. One in a million. Remember this? Take a look. So I'm pretty sure it's in a different translation, but I'm pretty sure that Boaz said to Ruth, right? I like you. I like you a lot, right? And then Ruth said to Boaz, so you're telling me there's a chance, right? I think it's in there somewhere. So the story continues and that's, it's, it's a long shot for him. And so they end up falling in love and the whole story continues and everything like that. But the way that it happens is a lot better than you think it went, Okay. Even with this sexy lady in his room, Boaz says there's a better way to do this. There's a better way to do this. And he ends up telling her that he's actually one of Naomi's family's guardian redeemers. Everybody say guardian redeemer. Which is one of these laws that God gives in the Old Testament to protect the poor. And so if there were certain people that had greater financial standing, that were in a similar family, they could buy back the land from the people that are now poor, so that they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't just keep getting poor and poor. They could redeem the land, okay? So this is what ends up happening. And so sometimes even family members would be so poor that they would have to sell themselves into slavery, and then the guardian redeemer would need to buy them back and redeem them as well. And so as only God can write it, Boaz not only buys back the land, but she, he buys back Ruth, out of her slavery, he buys her, ransoms her, pays for her past, forgives her, and invites her into a loving relationship for the future. Does that storyline sound at all familiar? I want you to look at this passage from Matthew chapter 20. Let's read it together. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Matthew chapter 20, a couple slides there. Next one, go ahead. Let's read that together. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. And this is where Ruth's story comes crashing into our story today. Jesus Christ has noticed you today. Jesus Christ has noticed you out in the field and he hasn't forgotten about you. And just like Ruth, he has paid for your past, everything that you've done, and through his death, he offers you a relationship with him forever. Boaz, as a guardian redeemer, is a small little tiny example of the ultimate guardian redeemer that Jesus Christ is for every single one of us. There is nothing that Ruth could have done to earn that. 
There is nothing that Ruth could have done to ever pay back Boaz for what he did. And the same is true for us. The gospel that we celebrated at the baptism font this morning is true for every single one of us. The gift of salvation and eternal life that Jesus Christ offers to you today, there is nothing that you could do to earn it. There's nothing that you can do to ever pay Jesus back. And that's why they call it grace. That's why they call it redemption. The next time you see an empty, dirty, sticky can or pot bottle, that's you. That's me. And Jesus Christ says, I'm going to come and buy you back from your past. I'm going to repurpose you and give you a hope and a future with me forever. That's our story. And as we close, it's important to understand there's two parts to redemption. There's the buying back part, which Boaz does for Ruth. But then there's the future part. There's the legacy part. And for Ruth, it was beyond her wildest dreams. So later on, Ruth and Boaz, they get married and they, they give birth to a son named Obed. So if any couples, if you're looking for a name, uh, as my wife and I are, we're considering Obed. Um, that's not true. So Obed is going to be the one son that carries on the family name. And you may not think that's important today, but in that culture it really was, and it comes out to be very, very important. And you may think that's really insignificant until you look at the family tree, and I want you to look at the family tray, tree here for a second. So we started our story with Naomi and Amalekek, then the sons, then Ruth and Orpha, Ruth marries Boaz, Obed, who's the father of Jesse, who's the father of David. You ever heard of him? King David? And I want you to hear this from Matthew chapter 2, thinking about that family tree. This is about 1,500 years later. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the earth. And Joseph went up from Galilee to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and named him Jesus. Holy cow. I got shivers when I first read that. This small, little, insignificant town where Ruth was toiling and cultivating the soil and cultivating faithfulness and thought that her life as a 20, 30-something was completely over ended up being the birthplace of our Savior. And she ends up being the great, 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 great something, grandmother of Jesus. Completely insignificant, right? I don't think so. What are the chances of that? Oh, I'd say one in a million. And I've heard it said that those who truly live lives of significance, I want you to think about this, particularly those that have been on your journey for a while and maybe you're nearing the end of your career and nearing retirement. I want you to hear this. It is said that those who truly live significant lives will plant trees under which they will never sit. They will plant seeds in the ground that will grow up of which they will never sit and never see the fruit. And so I want to ask every single one of you today, what will your legacy be? 
I don't care what age you are. For some of you maybe that are farther along in life, maybe feeling like you're past your prime, maybe your legacy is already written, I guarantee, I guarantee you today, your legacy will start under your roof. Your legacy will start with your extended family. Because folks, you can only reproduce who you are. And so the question this morning is, what kind of a person are you becoming and who are you reproducing? Are you a courageous person like Ruth who stepped out of your comfort zone instead of playing it safe? Do you have integrity like Boaz? What are you going to do this week that is going to matter 10 years from now? What are you going to do this week that's going to matter for eternity? What will your contribution be? Let Ruth's story become your story. Spend your days cultivating faithfulness and let the God of the universe be the one to make you significant. Amen? Let's stand and pray together.